This is Friends of Europe. For more, go to friendsofeurope.org. Good morning, everybody. You're all very early and obedient and sitting here already. It's fantastic. Um, it's a lovely day for it, as they might say. My name is Dharmendra Kanani. I'm Director of Insights and the moderator for this um, discussion on sharpening EU leadership on plastics, uh, recycling. Um, well, I was just speaking to the speakers of your panel uh, that's going to stimulate um, our senses and our thoughts and our hearts uh, around what we might do, that we couldn't have timed this discussion better. When you think about last week, the UN making that you know, historic declaration uh, where we've got over 100 countries committing to the fact that uh, there will be a different approach to waste dumping in particular, uh, and it's interesting how even in terms of waste, uh, in terms of plastics, we see the whole relationship between first and third world, etc., uh, operating the way that it has done um, historically. But it's really, it really important that uh, waste now from the first world doesn't end up in the second or third world just by chance and by economics, but now there is a international uh, legally binding framework that's emerged. Um, and those of you who are watching, the, well, reading the news yesterday will have known that, you know, the chap that went to the deepest part of the ocean uh, found a bag of plastic with sweets and, uh, and other, other, other matter in, in there, uh, which I thought was fascinating. It gives you a sense of um, the, the depths uh, of the issue, if you like. And also last week we had the report that we, um, as a continent, as a union, are consuming so much. We are uh, creating uh, the biggest kind of, I suppose, waste, if you can imagine, uh, that we've almost overshot our consumption. So as of last week, uh, those of you who've read the report will know that after the 8th of May, we're basically um, living on excess. Uh, um, in terms of the issue of consumption and, and recycle and climate change and what we can afford to be doing um, generally. So these are troubling, difficult times. And actually, one of the issues for us is not only the fact that it's a matter of consumption, and I don't mean that in a Victorian sense, I mean in the sense that we are basically eating uh, our way out of the planet uh, and we're not making ourselves very sustainable. Um, and the other issue, I suppose, is that at the heart of this, this discussion, is a, a matter of supply and demand. And how do you use any lever that's possible uh, to focus those uh, aspects of su uh, supply and demand to point in the right direction? We know the major issue for us in Europe in terms of plastics is that why, is it, why isn't it the case that recyclable plastic is entering the market as it should be? It's not, quite simply. Uh, this is not simply about behaviour change in terms of what you and I do. It's also about the whole supply chain. It's about what companies do. And what we have for you today is a, a very interesting uh, panel. So we have an EU perspective. We have a member state perspective. We have a private sector perspective and a civil society perspective. And so hopefully that will galvanise the conversation about what we do differently and better. And I suppose the objective of this is not simply to have a good conversation uh, and interest you. Because as you know, our strapline is, you know, debate, connect, debate, change. We want to connect the issues. We want to debate the right, right uh, points uh, of policy. But fundamentally, we want to think about what do we need to change in terms of policy making or policy thinking uh, as we move ahead. And it's on that point I want to just say a few words about what we've been doing in the context of change and policy change uh, in relation to the new EU mandate. This conversation clearly happens on the eve of elections. Um, these elections are going to be critical. 
uh, I think, for Europe, and I think most of you will agree, that given the context that we're living in, this election is likely to map out the future of Europe for quite some time in terms of, of its um, passion or commitment to liberal democracy, uh, but also what it can do on this particular agenda of sustainability and its response to climate change. And I think the voters will have their say. But equally importantly is that we think about what the new EU mandate does. When the new commission, so you, last week we had the Sibiu declaration, those of you who have read it uh, will know that there is a commitment to circularity and you know, circular economy is a key priority within that. Um, and it was more like a, I suppose, a, a campaigning uh, agenda. If any of you have read the Sibiu Declaration, it's very much about we will hang together, united, we'll protect communities, and we'll move forward in a, in a coherent way. And it's, it's a quite an interesting uh, structure of a declaration, I suppose, in advance of the elections. But I wanted to be able to just set out for you what we've been doing in relation to what the new uh, priorities might be for the uh, new mandate and what the new policy agenda might be. So firstly, what we've been doing is this. We've been raising the issue about without change and reform, um, the EU will remain, as we say, irrelevant to majority of its citizens. Why do we say that? We came up with this um, last year after having polled citizens. We polled over 11,500 citizens across Europe. And this is what they said. We asked them, <clears throat> we asked quite frankly, if the EU didn't exist, would it make any difference to your life? So if you just rubbed out everything, um, if the organisation didn't exist, and look at that, it's quite startling. 64% aren't convinced life would be worse without the EU. Um, really quite startling. But the questions we asked actually revealed um, a dilemma. And by that, by that I mean, for example, look, Europeans don't want less Europe. So 90% feel that EU should be more than a single market. And the issue of sovereignty, look at that, 81%. So the nationalists, if you like, uh, those on the centre right will say sovereignty is the issue. You know, the UK, Brexit, etc., etc. But listen, look at that. Um, citizens are not that concerned that, about decisions being made in Europe. And I think the dilemma is increasingly this. The Europeans want a bigger say. So we asked citizens, what would improve your trust and confidence in the EU. And these two points came out absolutely loud and clear. More involvement in policy making, decision making and budget transparency. And this is what I mean about the dilemma that on the one hand, there's not much meaning if the EU didn't exist, but actually there's a real clarity about what, how it could be given meaning to the people's lives if some of these things happened and changed. And the EU could be much more meaningful to the lives of citizens as a result. Um, we asked them what are the three things, top three things, uh, that the EU mandate should focus on. It's not rocket science, but isn't it interesting that when you hear what the media is saying, when they, when they orchestrate the debate around Europe, well, aren't you surprised that migration's not up there? We were. And, as the, and actually, this came out last September, and most of the polls now are confirming this. So now the Eurobarometer and all the other polls that have come out just before the elections are saying that migration isn't the issue, actually. It's jobs, climate change, and uh, people, uh, people's safety. That are the top three issues. And so it's quite interesting that this is what's, what's come through. So what we've done, and in your packs you'll find this, I hope, this report. Have you all got this? Making sure you do? No? Oh, dear. That was a, that was a 
faux pas on our part. So we'll make sure you've got this. So this is our uh, policy agenda uh, for the new mandate. And in there, we have 10 uh, ideas. There's no, it's not rocket science in here, actually. It's just straightforward stuff about what could be done to improve trust and confidence in the EU. Everything from more power sharing, getting equalities right, uh, making sure the governance improves. There's a bold idea in about that every member state should appoint a, a deputy prime minister uh, focused simply on um, Europe and European affairs, uh, rather than the current mishmash that you've got across Europe, through to looking at um, how do you use levers of fiscal policy to improve um, uh, performance on climate change and sustainability through using, for example, is it time to look at a carbon tax across Europe? How do you use green bonds more effectively? Um, how do you use public procurement to affect uh, a better uh, performance on climate change? So those are some of the ideas, uh, and they're in here. They're also on our website. So that's what I want you to kind of focus as a framework for this discussion, because I think given the CBU discussion, given the elections, and given the new mandate, this conversation about plastics is key, um, if you like, because it's one of, the key, uh, one of the significant points in people's lives that affects uh, all of us. And as we'll hear from our panellists, and you'll probably know this, is that it's actually packaging. Plastic packaging is the issue. It's what we consume and throw away. That's the biggest, um, I, I suppose, evil um, in, this, in this particular territory for discussion. I'm going to turn first now to taking uh, Commissioner Vice President uh, uh, Katayan to uh, open the discussion. And I suppose... For you, um, what I'm keen to understand from you is that what can we do? What are the policy levers that you and the Commission can use to improve the market for um, recyclable plastics? Because it seems that we're, something's going wrong. Well, how can we do to improve that? Um, over to you. Thank you very much. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Your question is um, probably the most crucial one, and I try to give some answers what we have already been doing and what has been already done in this, this field. But before going to this um, particular issue, I must say that the circular economy has become irreversible policy of the EU. And uh, it's relatively new concept for us all. And as part of it, uh, circular plastic policy plays a crucial role. So we want to become a superpower of circular economy. So basically, in foreseeable future, entire Can I just single stop you? market. We have to quote that. I hope we could just tweet that out there. Superpower on <laughs> circular economy. That's a really good line. Sorry, I had to say that. We Thank really you. Like Thank that you very phrase. much. And uh, you may also want to tweet this because um, I, in, oh, in foreseeable, uh, foreseeable future, entire single market should be circular. It's not rocket science. It's not really rocket science. I see this happening, but it means that we just have to has to select right policies and give incentives to business to do it. Um, so um, the plastics um, circular economy plastic strategy it identifies actions for businesses and public authorities to increase the uptake of plastic recycling through design for recyclability and to curb plastic waste with decisive action regarding single-use plastics and microplastics. Also, the modernized waste legislation is the key element of uh, this framework. The set of initiatives includes, for instance, more ambitious recycling targets, reinforced separate collection applications, uh, the review of packaging essential requirements, 
or the actions to foster design for circularity through green public procurement. Um, in addition, Commission tries to help the plastics value chains close the gap between the supply and demand. We have established circular plastics alliance covering all the links in the value chain, plastic value chains. And we have tasked them to do the trick. We have set a target by 2030, 10 million tons of recycled plastics should be used or end up to the products. Currently, this Plastics Alliance um, has identified, or actually we got pledges uh, by the industry that uh, by, by end of 2018 that they are ready to supply more than 11 million tons of recycled plastics in the EU market by 2025. <laughs> but the problem is that there seems to be uh, demand only for 6.4. But I'm not too worried about that because um, many people say that the situation may uh, change quickly if we take uh, some questions right. So. The Plastics Alliance has identified in their first meeting uh, five areas where we need some improvement. First, uh, collection, of sorting, uh, collection and sorting of plastics waste. Second, product design for recycling in order to improve recyclability. Third, recycled content in products. Fourth, research and development and investments, including chemical recycling. And fifth, monitoring. So those are the five pillars the Plastics Alliance has identified, and we are we are working very closely with the with the alliance, and we are expecting the final outcome uh, next fall, perfectly at the time when new commission should set up its new priorities. So I I, um, I look at all those five areas just very quickly first. Uh, we need more collection of plastic and better quality of sorted plastics. Mm. The EU has adopted a revised waste framework directive and a revised packaging and packaging waste directive with many new elements stimulating higher levels of plastic recycling. Let me give um, a couple of examples. The new legislation sets a specific recycling target for plastic packaging waste that is now set to double from 22.5 percent in 2008 to 55 percent in 2030. The achievement of this target is crucial since 60% of plastic waste come from packaging. Currently 42 percent of packaging uh, plastic packaging waste is recycled in the EU. Um, and 95 percent of the economic value of packages are wasted. Mm. So it doesn't make any economic sense the way we consume uh, today. The new directive on single-use plastics provides that 90% of pet beverage bottles will be collected by 2029. But change needs to happen on the ground now covering all plastic, um, plastic waste and also involving consumers. The second issue, we need truly recyclable plastic articles. Plastics uh, recyclers, plastics converters and brand owners need to agree on design standard that make recycling easier and more cost effective. The pet bottle is a good example. So can you imagine, and this, I'm very 
interesting in this part of uh, the work because if we manage to create the European standard for packaging plastics, I'm pretty sure that it will it will become a global standard. So, so it will the things we are doing here may change the world. Yeah. We have made a commitment to ensure that by 2030, all packaging plastic packaging placed on the EU market is reduce, uh, reduced or easily recycled. So basically we regulate, we create a new market. Extended res produce responsibility also plays a big uh, role. Um, third point, we need to ensure that recycled plastics find their way into the products. Let me stress that the underlined, um, as underlined by the members of Circular Plastics Alliance, this is not about downcycling. It is about maintaining the value of the plastics, plastic materials for as many loops as we can. Many pledgers even stress that high quality recycled plastics are available in sufficient volumes and at competitive price they could dramatically increase their pledges. This uh, suggests that high-quality recycled plastic will find their market, we believe so. Here we must build upon the value of the EU single market and the EU greatest asset. The re recycled plastics must be equally easy to trade within the EU as the primary material. So we need to create a market for recycled materials. It's our economic, uh, in our economic and environmental and social interest. This leads me to the fourth key topic of the work identified by the Circular Plastics Alliance, which is research and development and investments. This is one of the four pillars of the European strategy for plastics. So I'm not primarily worried about the lack of public financing because uh, the trick is done by private investors. We just have to set the environment right. And there is plenty of uh, resources available, for instance, from Horizon Europe facility, which mm -hmm. is the world's largest civilian research and innovation fund. Finally, agreeing on common system to monitor the use of recycled plastics in Europe is also essential to provide comparable and reliable data on the progress made towards the 10 million tons target. This is one of the topics that the Alliance Will, will work. You, so usually you get what you measure and uh, this kind of monitoring framework is very important for the policymakers to, to do necessary changes. So um, we are in good direction and I think the biggest challenge is just to create favorable environment which change the business models of uh, industry and encourages consumers to be part of this value chain. Thank you. Thank you for that. No, that, that was that, that's a very effective outline of the art of the possible in terms of what government policy or EU policy can do and setting a, a quite a, a significant ambition. And I suppose, and you, I suppose you'd expect me to say this, wouldn't you? But given that we've got a new mandate coming up. What's your confidence level in the fact that what you've said will continue into the next mandate? And really, I mean, having just come back from Sibiu from last week, so Romania, for example, um, a classic case study of um, how a country hasn't got 
any of the infrastructure right in terms of recycling whatsoever. So it's down to municipality and government commitment at one level. And there wasn't a sense of recycling taking place in Romania whatsoever. So if you want to just address those two points for me, please. Because I think the, the money, the, you know, the money will follow action, or the money will create the action, but what are the incentives that you have at your helm or uh, that we can pursue this uh, aggressively, but also confidence in whether this will continue as we move ahead? Yeah, I, I try to be as concrete as possible. First of all, uh, amongst the Commission officials, and now I refer to the engagement of various DGs, like... Um, of course, DG Environment, but also DG um, uh, Crow and many others, energy, etc., are very engaged in, in, in the circular economy approach. <coughs> and this makes me believe that uh, whatever the political leadership uh, wants to do, circular economy is part of the different policies. Second, circular economy and plastics as part of it has become a crucial element in our industrial policies. Everything we say on industry or the future of it, circular economy, and, and increasingly and positively enough, bioeconomy as, bio, um, as part of it um, is, is presented as one of the key, uh, key elements. And third, there are uh, many excellent member states, including Netherlands, who is who are very advanced in circular economy. So there is external pressure. But even more, more important than this is that why Europe is leading circular economy development currently in, in global scale is because of our industry and because of our companies, which are already in good pace to change the business models. And I'm sure that, uh, that uh, industrialists will lobby heavily next commission to get the right initiatives uh, in order to improve the, the circular economy environment. What we can do to the countries which are not that advanced, we could use, for instance, our structural funds uh, okay. for these purposes. We have already allocated a significant amount of uh, resources for improving the quality of waste management. I'm not sure how much good results we have, we have no, received. Exactly. Mm. But um, as the overall circular view is more prominent today than it was four years ago, for instance. I, I guess that no, allocation sure. for, for those. And also there is more supply. So if uh, country X wants to modernize their waste management systems, there are more technological provider, technology providers who are, who are offering or supplying best sure. possible solutions. Sure. I suppose my concern is, and I'm, I'm sure the concern of others is that in this space, like in many others, like in, in terms of the economic capacity of Europe, it would be a shame for the the traction on, on climate change and sustainability and circular economy. It hasn't got the same divide between north, south and east. And we, we're, we just have to kind of... Uh, surely move beyond that and find different levers for that time but people have views also i'm sure about how do you what levers can you use not to create the same divides within europe that we have or the kind of inequalities of progress uh, across europe yeah, was, uh, just very quickly i was last week in poland and i i discussed with the minister two ministers environment and business and, and research and they are they are very keen on circular economy they had very innovative ideas how to promote and how to engage consumers better to circularity. So it, it, it's not uh, very black and white. So there are good, good 
initiatives in, in various member states. No, indeed, indeed. Let's move on. Uh, to, thank you very much. And I, will, and I will bring you guys in in a moment after we take a, 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 a view from a local member state, if you like. Um, the Netherlands um, has been, as, as the Commissioner said, really progressive on, on so many levels. Um, but in particular, one of the first uh, countries, if you like, to introduce a uh, plastics pact. Um, Wiska, it would be really interesting to hear from you in terms of um, why was it important to have the pact, but more importantly, has it made a difference? Is it actually changing anything or is it just good words? Over to you. Thank you, uh, Damendra. Uh, good morning, uh, friends of Europe. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to be here uh, and to share some views with you. Um, I'm replacing our minister, uh, our Dutch minister, uh, Stintje van Veldhoven, who unfortunately could not be here. But um, be assured, she sends her warm greetings to all of you. Um, and I can assure you that she's, she, in person, is strongly committed to accelerate the transition towards a circular economy as much as possible. Um, in the Netherlands, with a lot of companies and a lot of organizations, institutions, but also in Europe and abroad. And this strong belief, this strong commitment to do more with less plastic, um, she showed in signing the Plastic Pact. The plastic pact in the Netherlands only two months ago. So talking about results is a bit early, but the pact has been signed <laughs> and all the ambitions are there. Sure, but it would be interesting to understand what, to, what, what it took, I suppose, politically yes. to get to that point I as well. I will get to that sure. point. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Well, um, our minister showed her interest also in, um, in organising a setting the scene event together with her French colleague, uh, Miss Brune Poisson, in Brussels only a month later. So one month after signing the pact, they organized a setting the scene event. And what did they want to do with it? They want to create a momentum to broaden the coalition of the willing, the coalition of the willing between member states and businesses alike, but also to link their national policies and European ambitions to the Circular Plastics Alliance in which the Commissioner already brought together companies with ambitious pledges. Um, and I want to thank the Commissioner uh, warmly for this initiative. And then France and the Netherlands and other member states will build on both initiatives from now on. The urgency is high, as, w as we all know, as your example from the deep dive in the ocean uh, showed. Uh, the urgency is very high. But the good news is, by now, in several European countries, a plastic pact has been signed, or initiatives are taken to sign one. And in addition, France and the Netherlands have taken the initiative to establish a plastic pact at European level. And we do that by first getting the networks in place towards a European pledging conference in late autumn in Paris to get everybody on the same page in establishing a common European agenda, a real European plastic pact, early 2020. This is our ambition, early 2020. And together, shoulder to shoulder, also with the new European Commission. And second, we have to work in our own countries, building networks of food and drink industries, supermarkets, on-the-go retailers and festivals, as well as the packaging firms, the recycling and the chemical industry. And, ladies and gentlemen, 
it's already happening. Supermarkets are experimenting with refraining from use of plastic packaging, for instance, by using dry misting, dry misting techniques for fruit and vegetables. Festivals change from single-use to reusable plastic cups. These examples show us if we use plastics in a more smart and efficient way, we can reduce our plastic use significantly. Now let me give you some brief information on the Dutch Plastic Pact. It was signed in February, as I said, by 75 parties. And the four targets for 25 are 100% recyclable single-use plastic products and packaging, Second, minus 20% single-use plastics and plastic packaging, and recycling at least 70% of all discarded single-use plastic products and packaging. And the last target is use 35% recycled content in 2025 compared to 2017. Now, how did we manage this? I come to your question. Of course, we have the momentum with us. Citizens don't understand the overuse of plastics. They are angry with the supermarkets, with, they are angry with the packaging companies, the chemical industry, and they use social media, as we all know. But there's more. We build together the story, the narrative, the narrative of the plastic pact, together with industry, retail, and environmental NGOs, respecting each other's views and each other's interests and at the same time challenging each other to be ambitious and transparent at the same time. And the funny thing is that all those companies, big and small, admitted that they need the network. This is the most important thing. They admitted they need the network to solve their problems. They need the network to speed up scaling, scaling up innovations. And they need the network to create a sound business case. And they also needed the government, so we were very glad. They need the government to connect the parties, to connect the stories and to build a transparent framework to build on. To conclude, I was given three messages from the parties in the Dutch Plastic Pact to present to you to consider at European level. And the first message is we need to increase policy coherence and we need a review on rules reviewing rules as soon as possible. Not all European legislation is written with the circular economy in mind. For instance, the EFSA regulations on food safety. So there is room for improvement on a European level. And the second message um, I have to take with me is we need large investments in the sorting and recycling infrastructure in Europe. Landfilling and incineration should not be promoted, but mechanical and chemical recycling techniques are promising mm. and it could present lots of opportunities Indeed. for all of us. Indeed. <clears throat> and the third message is we need to increase the demand for recycled content. In many instances, it's still cheaper for industries to use virgin material instead of recycled content. And incentives at the European level are needed by example, to help creating new quality standards and certification schemes on recycled content, on bio-based and compostable plastics. I will conclude, uh, Darmenda. Yeah. A lot has been done, 
and we are convinced that with the combined effort of all front-running companies and governmental agencies, we will fix the problem. We did it before. Do you remember the acid rain and the ozone layer? So keep up doing the good work, and we would love to work together with you, building the circular economy. Together we can, and we should, lead by example. With the help of a European plastic pact, we can take steps forward towards less unnecessary plastics and ending plastic waste in the environment. Thank you, thank you very much for that, Whisker. And it's inspirational uh, uh, in many respects for others to think about and follow. I suppose, and this is unfair on my part, but I will do it anyway. How will you make sure? I mean, what's the part of this equation is um, behavioral change and public accountability as well as public confidence that if I play my part, the rest of the, the, rest of the kind of value chain will do the same and that, you know, the, rule, the rules that apply to me as a citizen are the same as they, they apply to everyone else, for example, industry-wide. How do you intend to make some sort of public index of progress that you're making, or not? Are you going to be doing that? So that actually citizens in the Netherlands can see, actually, a plastic pact matters to me in my life because I'm going to see differentiation on my street. I'm going to see behaviour of uh, companies uh, very different. I'm, on the supermarkets, I'm going to see. Are you going to do something like that? Yes, because we are going to monitor the, the progress of the plastic pact and we will report on it. And we will send reports, of course, to Parliament, but we will also uh, make some news public and, well, we, we show the results and the companies <coughs> show their own results and they make, well, kind of news of their results. So that's what, uh, what we will do in monitoring. Sure. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there's one point which triggered me in, in what uh, Mr. Katainen said. Change needs to happen on the ground. And this is very true. It needs to happen on the ground with businesses, but also with consumers. And it was in the, in the USO that was said that change needs to happen on consumer base. And this is what we're working on in the Netherlands as well. No, sure, sure. Yes. And I get that. But one of the things, you know, because uh, this, this discussion forms part of our wider climate energy programme. And we've had, you know, at our summit this year and last year, quite a lot of the academics and um, thinkers that we had uh, have said, you know, consistently that on the behaviour change side, there's this kind of um, unquestioned um, philosophy that it's all about what the citizen does. Um, as opposed to how do you rewire industry and the supply, supply chain to make it easier for behaviour change to take place. So, you know, municipalities can do a lot on the street. Uh, companies can do a lot in a supermarket, for example, for that behaviour change to take place. It's like saying, you know, how do you make um, electricity and the you know, consumption of more sustainable uh, forms of energy easier by wiring the system into households differently? And I suppose that's my question that I think we take for granted that it's all about the hard, hard stuff that citizens have to do, but actually you can rewire the system differently. To, and I'd also say that I take your point about accountability of, you know, in company reports, but I suppose imagine that you could do something very differently in, across Europe but also at a member state that it makes the whole thing about a public index of progress, which is very, very visible on, in people's minds, as opposed to simply company reports coming out. But um, that was a point, you know, that was a bit of an unfair point, but something to think can, about. Can I give you one example? Because of the, um, there's one example on the, on the consumer level about waste collection, which mm -hmm. is very visible for everybody in your own street. Yeah. And this is a system of reversed collection. Yeah. Mm. Well, when your plastic is going to be collected at your home mm. and uh, all your residual waste, you have to bring a long way. So this, this is a kind of 
influencing consumer behavior on a very local scale. No, absolutely, and I totally agree. But there's this thing about nudge theory, isn't there, about behavioral change. And there's in nudge theory, you can really do some simple things that can uh, enable a population at a local level and a macro level to really think and behave differently, but they need the information to do that, if you, if you like. Let me bring you in. Uh, people, uh, what, you know, any reactions? Uh, we've got industry represented. We've got farm, you know, we've chemical chemicals represented also. Because you know, part of this is about how does the chemical industry react and respond to creating and using innovation to make it simpler for recycling or an alternative product uh, use and bases, if you like. But also, what uh, you know, what are others thinking here in terms of uh, uh, associations and organised companies generally that are involved in this particular issue or more? more more widely concerned. So, any questions from any of you? Don't be shy. Ah, we have a gentleman here. Ah, and a lady at the back. Great, wonderful. So, gentlemen, please say who you are and what you, who your questions to. Or if it's a statement, please make it short. Yeah, thank you, Amanda. I'm Mr. Baruti. I'm mm. an academic, British-based, and I'm. By training, I'm a lawyer specialized in the shipping in maritime business, including environmental uh, law. Okay. My, it's not a question, but a comment to, uh, to add to what Madame Witt just said. It's about the shipping business on the European sea, uh, high sea. Madame Witness, last month the Libre Belgique, the newspaper Libre Belgique, reported that in Groningen, the people collected around uh, four million of uh, plastics from a, a collapsed ships uh, in the north of uh, Holland in January uh, 2019. And I wanted just to mention that the shipping activity on the sea. Uh -huh. Last uh, in 2005, you had a, a conference on beating congestion. Mm -hmm. The shipping activity in the European seas also bring uh, use of plastic because of uh, ships who reach the coast, uh, coastal zone of Europe, even a weekend or a Sunday, and the offices are not open. The ships should remain there and the crew, the crew inside the ship used to, to throw the, the, the plastic on the sea. And okay, right. So I want just to add that uh, in addition to... Uh, that, that dimension to what, what's, what's been discussed. Okay. Uh, consumer or supermarket uh, parts is also, we should also take into consideration the shipping activity. No, absolutely. Your point is well made, sir, because the whole thing about the whole supply and value chain of companies has to be a part of this, uh, a part of this solution, if you like, and that's a timely and very useful reminder. There's a lady at the back there with a hand up. Um, yes, my name is Soko Conrad from Daimler for Automotive Industry. Um, I just have a question on the recycling of plastic, which is obviously m maybe a bit easier for single-use plastic. But we are confronted with plastics that are coming to the recycling um, um, chain that is 15 years old or older even. So we don't always know what is the content because some of the chemicals who are in, in the plastic are, haven't been regulated 15 years ago. 
so how do we how do you want to approach that? I mean, this is an issue we've discussed many times already. So I think at some point we need to accept that some of the plastic that is that old cannot be recycled. Um, and also, I think we should, if you want to have any targets in the future uh, for recycled content, it should be sector specific and not just uh, an overall target for all industry, because not all industry function the same way. <coughs> and the third issue I want to address is that in Europe, um, um, burning plastic is also <coughs> renewable energy. So there is somehow... Um, Waste is interesting for some industries, so it's not always in this in interesting to recycle, it's more interesting to burn it. Mm. So that's an issue I think has to be addressed as well. Okay, can I just, uh, just hold the mic for a second. In terms of like trying to retrofit, if you like, some of the regulation in relation to plastics that you're saying that's old and it's not possible, what's your personal view from the kind of your company's point of view? What would but you like to have, see happen then? But we already have the target to use recycled content, but it has to be a, the same quality because we have very high safety regulations mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, and we already have the whole design for circularity in our industry policies. Mm -hmm. We already, already have very high targets from the, um, 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 from, the um, from recycling, or we have to recycle 85% of the car. So mm -hmm. what I would like to see is that we need to accept the period that some, some of the plastic just needs to be disposed and cannot be always be recycled. Mm. Because some of them, it's not very okay. cost-efficient. All right. And finally, gentlemen at the back there. I would, if, you know, if there are people from the chemical industry here, it would be really interested to hear from you also in particular. Yes, my name is Christian Clapet from Petco Europe. This is the PET value chain. And just one answer. There is very, we're all speaking always about plastics. It's a good uh, point from... Madame here. And I think what's very important, and this is what we have, we have raised that at the CPA, the Circular Plastic Alliance, on collection and sorting, hmm. it is time, maybe not, okay, to speak about plastic, we can continue, but to have a state of play, an état des lieux. Oh, what, sorry, can you just repeat that? A state that? of play. A state of play. Is speaking that what is collected and recycled, mm -hmm. what is not collected and recyclable, what can we do, basically? Because uh, what is happening, uh, I've been, uh, I've been in the, in industrialist for 22 years, recycling plastics, for example, recycling PET and polyolefins, and we don't seem to know what we want to collect. Huh? We all speak about plastic, and we don't know what we want to collect. Now, as regards recycled content, so state of play is on a big priority of the CPA, uh, and... Um, I think Mr. Kaitanen will notice that. And the other thing is about the um, recycled content. Recycled content, some polymers are essential because they are barrier polymers. And uh, I'm not sure we'll be able to do some recycled content. And again, recycled content, when I hear 35%, it's a good idea. But the infrastructures in Europe are not ready for it. It's as easy as that. What you have today on PET is frauds speculations. Now, since the, 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 the PET is, uh, is uh, recycled PET is more expensive than virgin PET, uh, you have what, it's uh, something 50% above virgin, and sometimes it is imported from outside Europe, okay? Okay. Uh, and uh, that is uh, becoming a problem. So we, the state of play is becoming urgent. Okay, thank you very much. Um, 
this does come to yourself, I'm afraid, if you don't mind answering some, responding yeah, to that briefly, about yeah. the notion of the stapler, but also the, whole, the regulatory aspect. I mean, it was touched upon by uh, uh, Wisgear about we need to mainstream circularity across the policy book of the EU, if you like, if we're going to make this progress happen. Uh, but your response to the very specific issue around sectoral um, uh, standards, I'm See what you say, think about yeah, that. Yeah, indeed. So just a few anecdotes. First, um, the, both speakers here raised the issues what Plastics Alliance tries to solve currently. And I easily understand that there are specific needs for specific sectors. But uh, the current Wild West in terms of qualities which are used is not optimum for Recycling. So that's why I believe heavily on quality standards, which we can use, and it would help the recycling. Second point, there are new technologies in use which can separate, I mean, in the waste collection centers or companies, there are robots which can differentiate between the different qualities. But the problem is that there are also some, some qualities which cannot be recycled. So we have to devise what to do with those residues, whether it makes sense to incinerate or may a chemical recycling um, bring some solution if the quantities are still large. Uh, whether it's profitable or not, it must be profitable, otherwise we don't have circular economy. So the whole idea behind circular economy is that there is economy, and economy means that there must be profit. So, so that's why we have to, as a lawmakers, <coughs> we have to understand what to regulate and why and which, and which way. So that we, we can um, uh, improve our single market because uh, usually the volumes helps to reduce the prices. And we have to use our single market for, as a basis for creating a market for recycled uh, products, what, 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 whatever. And just a final point. Uh, if, the quality, uh, if the quantity of uh, plastic helps to to create a new market or reduce the price. Now we are better situation than a year ago because China has banned import of waste. So we are sinking to the waste. So, uh, we, so I, I find it as a encouragement for us to find sustainable market-based uh, approach. Okay. Um, very briefly, if you have, uh, I will take you very, very, because I need to move on to other speakers. Thank you very much. I'll be super fast. I'll okay. try. My name is Petra Hungel. I work at the United Nations Information Center. First, a very quick point. I think we have to move away from the eternal discussion of consumer responsibility. It's really nice that at, if you go to delays, you find these little uh, 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 tissue or cotton bags now to put your fruit in, but the plastic still remains there just beside it. Uh, so we need you policymakers to move faster and quicker. Then uh, a question because uh, Mr. Katainen, he touched upon the, the EU, um, or shall we say the, the export of waste. And um, if I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I believe that since 2004, the waste export to non-EU countries has increased by 69%. And I was just curious, uh, yes, after the China, after China closed its doors, uh, what is the, part of plastics in this whole waste export. I think we have to also have to stop believing that the EU is such a good student in, in recycling waste management. We're not doing that well, are we? Okay. That's a good challenging question on your part. Thank you very much. Can I just say that I'm going to 
I'll take the answer to that after we've heard from the private sector, if you don't mind, because I think that will be a nice link into the whole uh, big, bigger picture. No challenge, Igor, uh, in that respect. But let's move to Danon. Danon, a household name. Uh, we've all consumed bits of it in different ways. Um, and I suppose the issue for you is how do you reconcile your mission for healthy stuff that we eat and drink with the increasing expectations on circularity? Thank you very much. Um, it's quite natural, actually. The, the mission of Danone is to bring health through food to as many people as possible. Um, and we believe that healthy food starts with a healthy planet. We need packaging to deliver our food and hydration. Um, food safety is uh, absolutely uh, critical. But you could argue that today the, the packaging system, plastic or not plastic, doesn't work. Primarily linear. Uh, all good uh, system of take, make, and uh, dispose. And uh, together with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, we, uh, we raised a new ambition of uh, delivering that mission through 100% circular pack. So concretely, what does it mean? First, it means eliminate the packaging we don't need. Second, it, it means to innovate so the packaging we do need is safely reused, recycled, or composted in practice. So that at the end, the packaging remains in, stays in the economy and never become uh, waste and, and worse pollution. So uh, there are two main pillars of action um, to, to reach that ambition. The first one is, is packaging design. We talked a lot about that this morning. Um, today at Danone, 87% of our pack is uh, either recyclable, reusable, or compostable. Uh, 77 when it comes to purely plastic packaging. And it's not enough. And, and as many of our peers, we pledge to, to reach the 100% recyclable, reusable, or compostable by 2025. And you reach that by two kinds, of, of, two kinds of, of angles. The first one is either you, you invest or you enable the creation of new recycling stream for hard to recycle plastic. And if you fail, you switched. And you go from hard to recycle to easier to recycle plastic packaging, such as typically PET. So that's the first big angle, which lies in our hands. We design our pack. We can design for more recyclability and circularity. The second is, um, I would say, more complex, because we're just one piece of the puzzle, which is transitioning from a recyclability potential to recycling in practice and at scale. And this um, is, um, involves many stakeholders. Today we assume, because there is no either not available data, data and when it's, it's not 100% reliable, we assume our packaging is roughly recycled at 50% worldwide. Um, it's quite high compared to the rest of the industries because we rely mainly on PET bottles and PET <laughs> bottles is a recycling rate is quite high. Um, but still, once again, not, not, uh, not enough. And there, as industry, we, you can do two things. First, increase and maximize recycled content. Today, 36% of the non-packaging is made from recycled content, either recycled fiber, recycled metal, recycled glass, and recycled plastic. When it comes to PET, we reached last year 17% of recycled PET. It's already a challenge because the safety, the, the, the safety standards are super high. When we, we won't make tra any trade-off on the quality of the product when you sell healthy food and healthy, healthy hydration. But we aim at uh, being at 25% uh, by the end of next year for PET and 50% by 2025. So we, we, play, uh, we try to play a role in the pledging exercise of uh, the European Commission. Uh, because it's a, by giving, bringing demand up and driving demand up will give waste value and will incentivize people to get, collect and recycle this, this waste. 
And the, the last element of its, its waste management system, right? Um, we, by, by co-designing and co-financing waste management schemes under the EPR um, um, design framework, we make this system possible. When you say co, who's in the co-designing uh, Typically our peers, okay. reg regulators, right. waste management companies, um, the, the PRO that represent okay. the, uh, the, the uh, you know, this, uh, this association, and whatever the model. I mean, in some countries, we all are, are different, right, as citizens. So in some countries, the, we, the model of a green dots and yellow bin works quite well. In others, it doesn't, mm -hmm. simply. And so uh, you need to shift to uh, other kind of models. So, so for example, the new expectation and, and ambition of the, driven by the European Commission related to the collection for recycling of PET bottles, 77 by 2025, 90% by 2029, 20, uh, 20, will drive probably an expansion of deposit return scheme. It's a great thing. Mm. How do we design it efficiently so that it's not only efficient in recycling rate, but it's cost effective? so that we don't reduce the, competitive, the competitiveness of our industry, or we don't increase price and we don't reduce the purchasing power of our, of our consumer. So um, that's the two angles that we're uh, working at, packaging design on the one end, waste management system in the other end. Uh, we're not there yet, we're working hard, but I think it's to reconcile the mission and circularity, it's, uh, it's finally quite natural. Mm. From your perspective, could something else happen to make the pace of change happen faster? Because, I mean, we've not touched upon, like in other debates, about what's the quantum that needs to shift in recycling in order to meet some of the targets that we need to achieve globally and Europe-wide in terms of, you know, SDGs and, the, you know, the Paris agreements. I, I don't think we have the science yet in terms of plastics, unless someone in the audience does. But, you know, what, how, how much do we need to shift by when is, a, is an issue that's not been raised in this debate. But are we moving fast enough? I mean, you're a vested interest, you're a company. I understand that. But from your perspective, could something happen differently, better, that could make you move faster on this debate? Um, I, would, I would say, to, to oversimplify, I would say two things. And uh, first is uh, increased collaboration. I think we've, we've, we've started, I really see, I really see a, a shift. Two years ago, the, the level of collaboration that we have today didn't exist. Uh, it has improved a lot. It, it needs con to continue. Nobody has the, sim the silver bullet. Mm -hmm. Individually, we, we, we can't specifically on the waste management system part. We can't do it alone. So collaboration is key. It has started and it has improved, but I think we, could, we, we can go much faster. And maybe collaboration between member states, uh, because today it's rather local in uh, the, the decision-making process and the design. And I, I think we can cross-fertilize each other. Uh, systems are working well in the Netherlands, for example, and mm -hmm. in, in, in other countries, in, uh, and we should learn from each other. Right. So that's one, and the second is probably innovation. How to maximize the economic value behind a circular economy, which is, um, it's gonna be a challenge. Uh, and we need to be smarter and not only copy-pasting what has worked in some countries, but you were mentioning Poland, for example. Poland can't just copy-paste what worked in Western Europe uh, in, 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 in the past decades. I mean, we, we should be much smarter. Innovation, waste management starts for innovation. Mm -hmm. Sorting and collection as needs to be disrupted the way other sectors have been disrupted. So I'm sure that Poland can go not from 
through the same no. path, but learn from the drawbacks the waste management system have, uh, have had in the, in the Western world. I'm glad you raised that point, because I think one of the solutions in this, and perhaps you have a view on this, Jerky, is that, that what we say in this document is that what can happen in Europe is that it's comparative advantage in terms of not only the circular economy, but most, mostly in terms of inclusive growth in other areas, is to become the innovation hub and lab for the world. Because you have the capacity, we have the capacity, you just need the political will to come together and actually bring Danone and all the other companies into some sort of massive innovation hub that could really stretch us and move us further. Because that's what you're saying, isn't it? Because when I did the interviews with private sector leaders, they were all saying, actually, the thing that we miss in Europe is stopping us is from becoming an innovation hub for the world. What's your, what's your take on that? And also respond to the point that was made by a lady from the United Nations, yeah. you know, about um, you know, the waste, the dumping and the policy uh, pace. That's yeah. uh, unfortunately, I cannot give you numbers how much uh, European plastics is still ending up to the third countries, but I guess it's uh, enormous. And, and that, I, I see it positively in a sense that if those countries ban then it's our problem. And uh, it usually, uh, if there is an oversupply on something, it usually in encourages uh, new innovations. And I must say that I believe to the link or virtuous circles of uh, consumer-based demand and industrial innovations. We as, as regulator place a very crucial role when leveling the playing field and when creating new uh, environment for emerging markets. But I'm, I want to be humble. I don't pretend to know everything what is good for circular economic market from now till 10 years uh, perspective. So that's why uh, I, I really believe in consumer power. Because uh, if there is demand, then Danone may innovate something which is different than your competitors are doing. And, uh, and there's kind of a self-fulfilling um, or, or... Prophecy I mean, about it, yes. Yeah, prophecy. So we can use public money, yes. We can regulate and we must regulate. But then, uh, because this is evolving, emerging uh, part of the economy. And we cannot, it's not enough to see circular economy as a second best market or kind of a second hand, a little bit dirty market, not as profitable as virgin material market is. So we have to change the whole thing so that the circular economy is the most profitable, yeah. most productive. And that's why I believe in innovations which comes from demand and supply. I suppose some, some might say that um, we can't just let the forces of supply and demand push us in the right direction, you need to manage them a bit better or it's inter you need an interventionist approach to the market to be able to correct it or to kind of bucket in a different direction. Um, let me turn to our final, uh, uh, last but not least, uh, uh, contributor, Andre, from the Tara Foundation. And you, I suppose you serve as a conscience on this debate to a certain extent because you're there um, really enabling us to um, really think about what's going on. You provide the science, but also you're doing expeditions. So you're, you're really kind of being able to get to the heart of actually what's really happening below the surface of just recycling of plastics. Over to you. Uh, thank you, Devendra. Good morning, all. Uh, it's a good pleasure to be here to speak on behalf of civil society as a Tata Foundation because we are in the sea. We are going uh, in expeditions since, since more than 10 years. 
uh, to collect plastics and to, to analyze it. And just, I, I, would, I would like to, st to start to, to tell you uh, that I was uh, two, uh, two weeks ago in the, in the steering committee of the, of the circular law in France, the, uh, that are, uh, you may uh, want to uh, just hold it slightly away from you so that people can hear you yes. clearly. <coughs> yes, okay. And uh, I was a bit uh, surprised that uh, the only person that quoted the, the word biodiversity was, uh, was ourselves were explaining the pact. Uh, uh, and uh, other actors and, and stakeholders around the room, many, many, many industrials, were speaking on waste management uh, and not about biodiversity and, and the ocean itself. So just to, to start to, uh, to tell you that uh, the issue of plastics on the sea is, is growing uh, on, on, on conscience now. Since uh, four or five years, we are seeing more and more uh, awareness on this issue, uh, plastics at sea. But we are still we, we are still missing uh, quality information, uh, scientific in, information to understand really how these plastics is going in, into the sea. So more more dialogue uh, between the ocean community, the marine community, the scientists that are concretely doing research on how these plastics are are are, are spreading in the ocean. Uh, who is being impacted in the sea by the plastics? What organism, what kind of impact it is? I think we still need more clear, <coughs> more, more clear vision on, on this. Uh, so this to uh, in, introduce the, uh, the issue that we uh, start working more, more deeply about packaging in the sea, about plastic packaging in the sea. Actually, more than 80% of we, what we found in the sea comes from, from, from packaging. Uh, and this is uh, important information coming from uh, the, the NGOs that are really studying biodiversity impact. Uh, there's a lot being said about plastics in the sea. Uh, people saying that they are going to clean, to clean the sea with uh, incredible uh, operations to clean the oceans uh, of all plastics and to all to to ban all plastics from Earth. I mean, we are we are hearing lots of uh, stories in the in the social media against plastic, this kind of plastic bashing uh, going forward. But uh, concretely and realistically, uh, we do think that only uh, only circular. Uh, our economy can provide the solutions. I mean, we cannot uh, clean the oceans. Uh, there's not only a seventh continent of plastics, but there, there are plastics everywhere in the ocean. Even in the Arctic, we found a kind of route of plastics uh, going uh, to the Arctic, and uh, there's plastics everywhere. The Mediterranean Sea is almost uh, has almost the same levels uh, of pollution than the so-called uh, seventh continent of plastics. So we, we, we need to go beyond this very good piece of communications that we are seeing uh, in the television, in the, in the social media, to go a bit more consistently into solutions and to explain, uh, civil society to explain the citizens that plastics are a large family of, 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 of polymers, uh, plastics itself, my scientists are saying plastics are not uh, toxic. 
how I'm going to explain this to our, our Tata fans. Uh, so we need to go with concrete information and to explain that what, what is toxic are the additives, are the, the pigments, are the, 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 the different materials and chemical that we are adding to the plastics. Uh, we still need a lot of, of vision on uh, the alternatives of plastics. We are, we, 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 we are talking about bioplastics, about green plastics, but people don't know the difference between biosourced and biodegradable plastics, for instance. Uh, there is still also uh, information to give about the biodegradability of the green plastics on sea because they can be compostable uh, in labs, but not in the sea, because some plastics, they sink, and we, without the sun, they cannot degrade. So this just, uh, I'm giving you some perspective from, from a scientific point of view, but uh, as, a, as an interface with civil society, we really see the need for more, more education, for more awareness, uh, with concrete information and without going too too fast uh, towards a kind of plastic bashing, uh, because concretely we we do know that uh, the transition is possible. Uh, we are going fast. Uh, I, I, we 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 think. Uh, I, I was born in Brazil, so uh, I have also the this idea from the south that. Uh, we are criticizing Europe a lot, but when you go out of Europe to Asia and to, to China or to Brazil, we, we have rates of 2-3% of, 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 of recycling, so more progress to do uh, outside Europe uh, and with the European leaders to, to, to drive this, uh, this, 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 uh, this transition. Okay. That's, that's very helpful, but what, I, what I'd like to understand from you is, so you're saying we need more awareness and education, okay, that's, that's, that's important, but that's not going to give us the pace of change that we need to see happening, right? That's my, my assumption. What do you want from the EU? What do you want from, you know, policymakers um, and from, let's say, from the um, chemicals industry, if you like? Because uh, fundamentally, there's something about innovation in chemistry that can help on this agenda. So, what, what what do you want from them, very specifically? If you had a wish list, what would you want? As we are part of the of the plastic pact in France uh, with uh, with Minister Poisson uh, and Danone, Carrefour, and others, and uh, we are convinced that if civil society, research, industry, and governments they put together some goals, some targets. Uh, they can drive the change. They can drive the change. President M M Macron is always uh, uh, saying that to drive the change, we need champions. We, we need uh, stakeholders to, to champion some issues to drive the change. Uh, and I think without a commitment uh, from industry, mm -hmm. from civil society, and from governments and, and policymakers, we will still uh, stay on on the on the options on the table option A option B so we must believe that together we, 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 we with a multi uh, uh, stakeholder approach we can go faster okay all right and I'll bring before I before I that great 
two hands on the panel. Um, but I want the hands over there. Um, so I've seen some faces in the audience. So a bit kind of, yeah, all right. Kind of all no, shaky, you know, thing. I'm not sure about that. Come on, here's a chance. Gentlemen here, please, because I saw you shaking your head. Thinking, I can't, I don't have a mic. So please. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, you are. Um, my name is Hasso von Torgrell. I'm the managing director of European Bioplastics. Great. Good. industry uh, making bioplastics. Coming to André, uh, I was very frustrated to hear that you think sunlight is something that makes plastics biodegrade. It doesn't. What you're talking about are the so-called oxodegradable plastics, which are not biodegradable at all. They're only conventional plastics with some additives, which make them fragment in the sun. Truly biodegradable plastics, they biodegrade under uh, the influence of bacteria and fungi, mm -hmm. which is why we as European Bioplastics, we promote biodegradable compostable plastics in industrial composting. This is a very, different, very mm. different thing. And even though they're not made to biodegrade in the sea, actually they do. It takes a little longer, but they do biodegrade in the sea, but they don't belong in there anyway, period. Mm. So we do not make any kind of claims, even though we could, because we don't want people to mix up biodegradable plastics with being something you can throw into the... Sure. What uh, would you like to see happen, though? I mean, do you feel the pace is quick enough? I mean, you, you come from an industry. I mean, what do you want to help you move faster? Well, what would really help to move faster is indeed to get the uh, infrastructure for recycling and collection sorting on the way. I mean, we have a total different landscape in Europe. You mentioned that. Earlier on, in some countries, you still have 90% or even more landfilling. This is something that cannot be in Europe. This has to be stopped immediately, mm. and it can't be done quick enough. And by infrastructure, you mean that? You don't mean infrastructure, infrastructure on the street? You mean, or you mean no, all I levels? Mean, I mean collection, sorting, yeah. and recycling infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. You need to okay. create incentives to use more recyclates or bio-based uh, plastics. Okay. And this is something that has never been touched upon. Everybody seems to be discussing a taxation of uh, CO2. Why not a taxation of fossil carbon? Mm. And, that, and, and a non-taxation or a reduction of taxation for bio-based or recycled carbon. So kind of positive taxation exactly. incentives to yes. change behavior or, exactly. as you were saying, create a different profit base uh, exactly. uh, incentive. Gentlemen over there. There are some faces here as well that were kind of a bit... I can't give you a second bite of the cherry, madam. I may do, but let's see if there's somebody else. Anyone over here that wants to come in? No? Okay. Perhaps you'll warm up in a moment or two. Gentlemen there. Say you are. Yes. Uh, my name is Jos Fuig. I work for TNO, the Dutch public uh, RTO. We work a lot on the circular economy and helping also the plastic pact. Um, I was saw a lot of happy faces uh, in the panel when uh, Europe as an innovation hub for circular economy or for circular plastics was being mentioned. But actually Mr. Abro was the first one to actually mention uh, science. Innovation seemed to have to be reacted to like, oh yes, let's bring all the companies together and we'll all be fine. I would actually like to hear maybe mostly from uh, Danone, what would you, uh, where do you think public science and public research is still needed to actually help you become uh, an innovation powerhouse okay. uh, for the world. Yeah. Can I just be really clear? When I refer to the, and I'm not being defensive, I promise you, um, I don't believe that you can have innovation without the science. 
I'm, and I wasn't specific about that, but absolutely. When I think, when you take a, when you look at a whole system innovation approach, you need science at the heart mm-hmm. of that. Absolutely. Um, and more than just science, there's no, a lot indeed, of public you need, absolutely, work going Absolutely, you need to have the whole kind of value chain there. Um, Igor, do you want to respond briefly to that? Yeah. Um, you need many things to enable uh, to enable innovation, but as industry, what uh, one thing that we can use is uh, for off-take commitment, for example. I mean, give visibility to an in, to, to a startup to an entrepreneur by by you know showing him the potential in terms of markets for him. So what do we do? We do it for um, new generation recycling, for example, the famous chemical recycling. We partnered with Loop Industry to giving them the pot- the potential market behind it. So uh, we do it uh, with, uh, with uh, some peers in a pre-competitive approach. We did it in the past in, uh, in the, the biomaterial uh, field uh, with origin material to enable 100% bio-based PET. But for, recyc- for chemical recycling, we do the same. So it's one. Uh, it's not the only one, but industry, at least, that's what we can do. Promising markets for those guys. Okay. And have you made the point you wanted to make earlier? Because you wanted to come in before I went out uh, again. Yeah, I, I, was, I was. Yeah, no, I was trying to. I, I was uh, willing to reflect on the the education piece. Okay. I I really with Andre on this one, I, and and I think it can be a, a very strong enabler and 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 accelerate the pace of change. Okay. Consumer and citizens are starving for solution now. Everybody's aware that there is a challenge. They don't want to be, to hear about the challenge anymore. They want to have solution. So if you educate people and you you give them options, on shelf to vote for the world they want, they will buy it, and they will buy it fast, very no, indeed. fast. It depends on who starts that and how it happens, how the education takes place, because it has to be simple and easy and straightforward. Yeah, and, and once again, there is, no, there is not one silver bullet, but sure, uh, sure. You, you, you could argue that uh, the regulator could, could frame the claim, for example, to, uh, for example, consumers are, are starving for recyclability claim. The number one, cl- number one claim that the consumer are looking for recyclable packaging mm. but they don't really know what lies behind recyclability mm. and you still have people around yeah. around saying that recyclability is technically recyclable but it's pointless yeah recyclable it, packaging that never gets recycled it's not there's recyclable also a confidence trick here isn't there because we've we've been let down as a public so often about standard setters and then finding out actually someone's done a dirty behind the back for economic reasons and then you end up actually then thinking oh goodness and so i think we need to improve trust don't we on in the kind of consumption habits that actually when the regulator says or a standard is set that it means that rather than simply yeah. you know hoodwinking people uh, down uh, down the, down the line you wanted to come in then i'll bring yourself yeah, in just here, uh, uh, just comment on, on, on Igor's uh, statement. I think that there's an example uh, how uh, citizens are starving for information. Uh, the low density plastics. Okay, so PET is recyclable. Uh, the water bottles, the Danone bottles are, are recyclable. We, we know it. Okay, we know it. And I, I put mine on the Poubelle Jaune in France. Okay, but uh, my, my yogurt, my my bags, the, the little plastic films inside the, the paper packaging, I don't know if they are re- re- recycled in France or not. And I'm, a sp- I, I'm supposed to be a specialist on it, and I, I don't know. Uh, I know someone's, but so people really need to be informed properly about okay. what is recyclable. And I will end with, with this uh, issue of, of low density plastics, because in France now with the new law, uh, this is an issue will be, will, will be addressed by CTO, CTO, 
don't know if they are here, but, uh, but CTO is the, the public eco-organism in France regulating uh, uh, packaging. They are changing the fees uh, to, make, uh, to make progress on, on low-density plastic. Uh, and this is a kind of issue that uh, we should not elude when we go to public opinion. Okay, sure. So you need, we need to create the right infrastructure for standard setting and then public education around it. Jerky, I'll move to you. I mean, your thoughts, you wanted to come in earlier also, uh, but your response to what you've, kind of some of the challenges from, from, from the audience around what needs to be done. Actually, I have a question to audience. If, um, is there anybody uh, who knows the chemical recycling technology as well? There's one, two, okay, good. Can oh, you four, answer five. to this question? Because, and this is a sincere question, because I don't know chemical recycling that well. I, I have been reading something, but I'm not a specialist. So, whereas now we have a strategy, which we have been talking about here. So we want to educate people to know what can be uh, recycled. We want to improve and invest heavily on waste management systems. Mm -hmm. Commission wants to create European standard for packaging plastic in order to mm. make recycling easier. Mm. And there is a whole, a whole set of measures which we want to do in order to address the question. How about, can chemical recycling uh, be a solution? Mm. So how about uh, there was uh, only one pot where you can pour all the different uh, kind of qualities of plastics and then you start picking the molecules. So is there any sense what we are doing here? at the moment, if chemical recycling can replace uh, those physical uh, investments or educational efforts. Thank you, uh, Commissioner, because that, that's kind of, you know, stirred things up a little bit, and it's interesting that it's come from the, from the panel. There were hands up, and I will bring you in, sir, and, and the others. I'd like to bring yourself in. Um, Let's show. Thank you for the question. So, my name is Henk Paul Sefik, uh, chemical industry, so I know a little bit about uh, chemistry. I think the question is the right question to ask at this particular point. The solution is more complex. Mm -hmm. What we need to look for and what we need to think of is, first of all, do we know the waste plastic article? Do we know what is inside? And can we recycle as is? In other words, can we keep the polymer intact? And for the vast majority of cases that we talk about today, that is the case. There was a comment from, from uh, Daimler. We have certain materials added into the plastics that we don't know anymore. That was 15, 20 years ago. Sure. What can we do about this? There are advanced technologies where you keep the polymer intact, where you can treat or separate that. It's complex. It is not always with assurance, so that is, uh, that is a difficulty. There is also a question about regenerating the polymer. Can you at some point in time when the quality is not sufficient, regenerate your polymer. That is called chemical recycling. We don't like the word always, so that's why we use a different word. Where you basically, what you decide is to uh, use the molecules rather than the polymer. And in that way, you bring back a building block that you can use for any of your chemical products, including plastics. And that is something, an avenue that is um, reasonably practiced but should be more broadly practiced. But the solution you say is complex, as you've just described, but what does someone like him have to do as a policymaker to get that solution to scale? Yeah, if you bring it to scale, you need uh, a substantial amount of, uh, of waste. 
Okay. And that is to some extent available. I mean, mm -hmm. you look at the supply-demand pledges, right? I mean, we, we see the situation there. I mean, mm -hmm. there, is, there is something that needs to be discussed before we can do this. Okay, all right, but an interesting idea that was hatched here, let's say. The other gentleman that was here from the industry as well, and then I'll come to yourself. Well, thank you. My name is Piotr Bacak. I'm not precisely from industry, from NGOs, and that's actually why precisely I would like to say don't go into that direction. This is not a solution. As you said, we need scale. We need, we need also scale for incinerators. I believe in, in years, uh, chemical recycling, with the huge investments that is could be planned, hopefully not, will become second incineration because we need a, a lot of generation of waste. This is not the solution and I will actually turn the, uh, the answer because the solution lies somewhere else, totally somewhere else. And I would also ask, like to ask the Commissioner and Danone, you said about you focus, you would like to focus on the reusable packaging, but what is actually the rate of reusable packaging that you, that you put on the market or plan to put on the market? Uh, we have an opportunity as in the European Union now because there is a revision of essential requirements for packaging. But we, in, I, we participate as NGOs in the discussions, but it's hugely, hugely over-represented um, by, by recycling industry. What is there about reuse? This is the solution. And so what would you like to see happen? Ellen MacArthur Foundation also said, redesign yeah. of 30% of packaging and 20% reusable. That mm -hmm. must be the solution. And recycled content, it is possible to have 100% recycling, recycled content in plastic bottles also. There are companies right. doing that. But how to collect it? Deposit return systems. Another solution was not discussed today. Um, and last question, uh, answer also to, to Miss from Unric. Uh, Unric, um, thirty percent of plastic uh, is collected for recycling. Half of it is exported. Not only China ban that was known already for many many months. Uh, if you know, last Friday there was a new. Um, uh, situation at Basel meeting convention, Basel convention meeting. Yes, the, the declaration. Yes. The declaration, yeah. exactly. Now, you are, uh, EU, that supported this, this proposal of Norway, um, there, it will be much uh, more difficult to export any kind of plastic. Sure. Because it will fall in the list of, of Basel. So, yes, this is the, an opportunity for, for the EU to rethink not only towards recycling, but really towards prevention but, and reduction. Okay, but in, in, in a phrase or so, what would you like to see happen? So when you say the emphasis of the debate, where does it have to be? Where do you see the solution lying? Prevention in of any disposable plastic and short-lived plastic. Uh -huh. Focus on reusable uh, solutions, including reusable plastic. Okay. And long-life plastic also for automotive systems. We are not against plastic, but plastic that lasts. And is but you're, you're vehemently against chemical uh, um, uh, you know, yes, recycling, because the like. investments that will in, be required should go into reusable and prevention, not to industrial... Um, Fine, point uh, well made. Okay, gentleman who's been very patient in the back, and then lady over there, I will sure, bring... Sure, I'm, I'm late by 50 minutes because I've trained, so... Don't worry. No problem. Uh, I, I think we... You who uh, are, can you introduce so, yourself, please? Uh, my name is Stan Hafska. I uh, represent, like uh, my colleague, uh, the bioplastics uh, industry. And I think, uh, and we are really... Um, having a lot of frustration uh, just to uh, keep this material as an option. We, I think we need internally more, more options, more s uh, smart ways to reuse plastic. I think it's the myth uh, of uh, you know, the statement that uh, recycling is the only one way to, uh, uh, to reuse plastics. Uh, recycling only works, from my perspective, in the closed-loop systems, like the colleagues mentioned before, if we know which kind of polymer has been used so we can reuse it again. Such, such closed-loop system in Germany work only for the plastic bottles, polyester bottles. The regular packaging is, is not recycled. It's not even, uh, I think, legally 
uh, not allowed to be recycled because if you use, reuse unknown material, you might you know, poison people and so on. So the packaging in general, for packaging in general, we need to keep the doors open, keep more options open for, um, for different solutions like biodegradable plastics okay. and so on and so on. Uh, plus, you know, I saw the commentary recently that uh, the percentage was 70 or 80% of the ocean pollution plastic come from Asia from seven rivers on all of them in Asia, not in Europe. So we, we should think about offering solutions to the, uh, to the planet, um, material solutions with the great, like biodegradable in certain environments. Sure. Uh, assuming that's not everybody's educated and so on. It's very frustrating to really um, to teach people, explain why the difference between oxidable, uh, okay. biodegradable and so on and so on. Yeah. Summary, so I think we need to keep all the options open because the complexity of the plastics is very high. And people use the expression plastic like one symbol for everything. So you, can, you could keep the recycling road. Indeed, but also the so I agree so with you. But keeping the options open might, might lead to a situation where we don't have the urgency and pace to move in the direction we need to move in. And I know you're not saying that, but that's what worries me about let's keep all options. There's something about this debate about focusing on what is the lever, the main thing that's going to really upscale change and development. What's the worm Regulation. in the system we need to put? Yeah. But uh, let's come back to that in a moment, because I know that we're, we've got quite time running out, and now you see you're all waking up now. Um, the lady over there, that just, behind, just behind you, Clara, there, there you go. Oh, excuse me. Be right. brief so I can get the opportunity to bring it all together. Thank you very much. I'll try my very best. Christine Bundesmann, my name from BASF. So we are currently having a big project on chemical recycling. Um, to start out, I completely agree with the gentleman that we just heard from the NGO side. I think prevention, reuse, and long life of plastics are key, and those should definitely be part of the solution, absolutely. Um, I slightly disagree, or strongly disagree, when it comes to chemical recycling, because I really see this as part of the solution as well. Now, we had, for example, the element of long life. Long life means you have a material that comes to the market and comes back for recycling 20 years later. We had this discussion before. What do you do with those waste streams? And one solution can, for example, be pyrolysis, which is one example of chemical recycling, because this will enable you to remove the hazardous substances okay. or the legacy substances. Now, there are other chemical recycling technologies which can be good solutions for other processes. For example, we had construction waste coming back, polystyrene with old flame retardants. There can be um, another option by, chemical by combining chemical recycling of the flame retardant with the mechanical recycling of okay. the polystyrene. So what I would so also argue for in summary is also trying not to go for we need just this way, we need just this way, because I think for the different waste streams we will in the end need the different ways, uh, the different ways, mm. because together they will really give us the best um, solution for all the different waste streams we have. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Look, you've all woken up. It's too late. It's 10.30. These people need to get off on the trains and busy meetings. We've got a vice president here who's probably got to solve another world global competitive question after this, uh, I'm sure. So I'm sorry. Do keep your questions or email us and we can get, if it's, if it's a joke, we can get it to him. I know you need to go, but can you come back on some of the issues that have been raised so far? And also, you wanted to come back. I thought your question was an interesting one to provoke thinking and stimulate the debate around it. But in terms of responding to how we kind of pick up pace, but also the other points you wanted to make about, um, you know, is a, is a European pact the way to go 
for example. So the pace we have seen developing during the last four years is quite um, impressive. So we, we didn't talk at all on these kind of issues a few years back. And now this is one of the major political topic mm. in Europe. Mm -hmm. And it makes me really, really satisfied because I, I see this, uh, this uh, development will, will uh, be even faster in the next three, four, four years. So obviously I don't believe myself that there is silver bullet, as you said. So we need various solutions to various uh, problems. But at the same time, if I should raise just one thing which I believe will be a game changer, mm. and it's uh, if we manage to create a European standard for packaging plastics, as well as ocean degradable plastics, which doesn't uh, become a microplastic, it will create a new so market. So you see that as the game changing? Yes. That I was asking so for. What's the one thing we should do? It will create a new market okay. for dealing with <coughs> packaging waste and uh, it will, um, it will uh, those standards may become a global standard. So our influence may go even beyond the European borders. And I, I just must, must say that these are just a couple of examples of what can be done, which is doable, which I foresee to happen. Do and there are many, many, many others. Believe, uh, so that standard, the, the game-changing standard, do you believe that's doable politically? Doable politically. Politically, yes. Yeah, I, I think it's more like a technical problem. Okay. So um, that's once good to we, hear. So uh, once we find uh, the way to to create the standard, I think it's politically doable. Excellent. That's good to hear, colleagues. Um, I know those of you who want to make any final comments, please do so, but very briefly, Igor. Yeah, there was a very uh, clear question, so I will try to give a clear answer. Uh, one third of Danone product are delivered through reusable bag mainly water business in countries where uh, tap water is not drinkable. You know, the big jug, the 20 liters fountain, it's more than half of the water Danone delivers is delivered through reusable packaging so that we get back, wash, and deliver again. So that's one. But frank frankly, I think convenience to consumer mm. will be fundamental. So there is no one-size-fits-all. There will be four single-use plastic. We believe it has to be circle, so recyclable and made of recycled content and out of single-use plastic, the move to reuse. So I, I'm with you on this one. On the chemical recycling, I'm not because I believe that uh, chemical recycling infrastructure is much lighter than, than energy recovery, for example. So you don't have to feed the beast as you have for energy recovery. Mm. And it's a combination to increase and enable brands to be at 100% recycled PET bottle, for example. You need a combination of technology, new generation recycling, and you need a combination of increased collection. And you mentioned deposit return scheme. I do believe it's, it's one of the way forward. Because by doing so, you incentivize people to bring bottle back and you will increase the, the baseline and the, the okay. input material for, for a very good recycle, recycle PT. So I'm with you on that. All right, thank you. Wiske? Uh, respect uh, to the European uh, Plastic Pact, um, uh, I agree with the Commissioner. Uh, we have to have uh, mutual goals and also mutual standards. This will help. Uh, I strongly believe uh, in that. And one final statement to uh, educating the people. Um, we have in the Netherlands, we have an, uh, an, an app you can download on your telephone and it will tell you how to separate your waste, which bag, which package uh, to put where in which bin. Uh, the only thing is how to get people to download this app. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> 
<laughs> point well made. Did you want to make any final point, but very, very briefly? Yes, thank you. Just a, a, a point of view from, from the ocean biodiversity. Uh, and uh, uh, I think you, you, you heard about the IPBOS report last week, which is really critical and, and alarming. And uh, we are just making a point that the ocean biodiversity is under threat. Uh, and it's not only uh, the well-known species like turtles or whales or dolphins, but it's all about the whole microorganism in the, in the ocean. The biogeochemical uh, cycles are changing with, with climate change, pH, oxygen, temperature. And so this, this cumulative impacts uh, we, with pollution are very, very severe now. So uh, we... We, we need to go beyond these images, sure. which is very nice, and, 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 and turtles, they're, 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 they're cute, but uh, the real impact is on microbiodiversity, on microbiome, on microorganisms, on plankton, which are providing the essential ecosystem uh, uh, services we need for, for the whole planet. Sure. So the point of, you know, don't, don't underestimate the complexity by rushing to solutions. I get that point. Colleagues, I hope that we've stimulated your thoughts on this topic that we've kind of joined up the dots um, of the debate um, and I think that we've come up with some uh, uh, potentially radical or simple solutions it'll be a case as I said of politics but money uh, and the two things will have to work hand in hand and as you heard from the commission I mean Perhaps the game changer, and I don't know whether you believe this or not, is that we need to set a European standard that you know we can politically deliver, uh, that there will be the thing that provides the lever and the device to really change behaviour across sector. The other thing I think it's important to not forget sight of is that point you made about we have an app, but how do you get the people to download it? We know enough about behavioural science and nudge theory to know that actually... Think of what's happened with, you know, Greta and others. That you know, The thing about peer influence is massive. And I think we mustn't lose sight of uh, creating some sort of public index available of change that people can see what they're doing street by street, neighbourhood by neighbourhood. And that can be a huge peer pressure uh, um, outlet for change. Thank you all very much for your time and for your patience for still being here five or seven minutes after the event was scheduled to, to, to conclude. Thank, let's thank our panel in the usual manner. Thank you very much. And thanks to you. Those of you who are interested in this report, I'm sorry we didn't have a copy for you. They've, they've all flown out. It's been so successful. You can go to our website and download the, the document from, from it, okay? Thank you very much. Thank you.